Well, good morning, fellowship. Welcome to 2023. There are some people excited. I kind of want to try that again. I know it's early, but fellowship, welcome to 2023. 
a little a little bit more excited. Show well, of hey, hands. Who stayed name? up till 12 last night? Wow. I'm proud of you guys. It's a hard turnaround. Well, my name's Chance Kane. I'm with Student Ministries, and this is my friend Sarah Hill with the elementary team. But before we move on to 23, let's take a second to step back and reflect on 2022. I'm sure there are a lot of moments worth celebrating. There are probably some that we want to forget about. But if I know one thing for sure, it's this, that when you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of your feelings, you can be confident that seeds were planted, that they were watered in your life and in the lives of others. And the best thing is, guys, God is the one who makes the growth. And so let's take a second and reflect on that. Think about this last year. Where have you seen fruit in your life or in the life of someone else? Thank God for that. Or maybe there's a situation, a relationship, something where you didn't see fruit where you expected to. Lift that up to the Lord in 2023. Well, hey, continuing with the topic of growth, here at Fellowship, we believe that as believers, this is a continual, a continual process. We are sanctified every single day. And we have several, several resources that wanna, we wanna help um, you grow in and that we think will help us grow. Um, and so they are all on the screen. There's a lot of them. And so if you are looking at the screen and you're like, something sticks out, I, that has sparked my interest, ask someone in the foyer um, at the information booth. We know that there's a lot there and a lot will be starting here in the next few weeks with this new semester. Um, another super, super exciting resource we have to help us continue to grow are our new study guides, study books. I don't know the official name, um, but we're gonna be getting a series on Daniel and Esther here super soon. And so these will be available in the foyer very soon, maybe even today. Today, yeah, they're available today, which is awesome. And so grab one of these. They're gonna be super, a really, really good resource um, just as we continue to walk forward um, and study God's word. But hey, I wanna read a scripture for us this morning and it is from John 14, verses 25 through 27. And they say, I have spoken all these things while I am still with you, but the Father will send my friend in my name to help you. The friend is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. I leave my peace with you. I give my peace to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Um, and Simon Foster, he was actually supposed to be here this morning and because of some stuff with his family was not able to, but he read that at a staff meeting um, a few weeks ago and just reminded us that the peace that we have isn't from this world. Um, and I think that's such a sweet reminder as we think about what this year is going to bring um, and the new things, the hard things as we set goals or resolutions or have words. Um, I think it's just a really, 
really sweet reminder, especially after we have been celebrating Christmas and Emmanuel, we've been celebrating God with us. Um, I think it's such a cool reminder that moving forward, he is going to be our peace. It's not gonna come from achieving a certain resolution or a certain goal, um, but it's going to come from him. And so let that sort of be the focus for your heart this morning. Um, Yeah, we're excited to worship with you guys. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. about these words with love could remember no wrongs we have done let's praise him what love could remember no wrongs we have done omniscience all-knowing he counts not their song thrown into a sea without bottom or shore and our sins they are Would you guys stand with me and sing this? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weak, the vilest, the poor. And our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the
You guys may be seated. with me for my waking breath, for my waking breath, for my daily breath. I depend on you. I depend on you for the sun to rise, for my sleep
Lord Jesus, that is our prayer this morning, that you would teach us to abide. And God, on my end at least, it's so hard to do that. And I often come in here on Sunday mornings and I'm just feeling the overwhelming shame and guilt of the person that I was in the past week. But Lord, we remember this morning that your mercy is more stronger than darkness and it's new every morning, God. We step into your mercy in this new year. God, we're so grateful for you and for this moment where we can come before you and acknowledge your greatness and our need for you. So Lord, this morning, would you just tune our hearts to understand you, to know you, and to love you. Lord, be with John as he teaches us. Would our hearts be open to receive your word? We love you. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. Well, this is the time of year when we make those resolutions, isn't it? Have you broken your resolution yet? Huh? I have a list of 14,000 people surveyed. These are the top eight New Year's resolutions. So I guess that would also make them the top eight resolutions that are broken as well. Quickly, right? But, but, but what interests me is why do we make resolutions? You see, I think it may be because we desire change. There, there's something in us, hardwired into us, that we desire change. We want to see change happen. We know that change needs to take place in one way or another in our lives. So resolutions are a good thing. We, we desire change. That change is illustrated in the shows we watch. You may, may think about the shows that are popular. Remember Biggest Loser was on for years and years that you would watch a person, you step into health and step into weight loss, that they desired amazing amounts of change. And also the show Fixer Upper. You familiar with it? There's also a, our local version, Fixer to Fabulous. But we love dramatic change. We love to see them take that house. Sometimes it's a, just a normal house. Sometimes it's a little dilapidated. And they transform it into this incredible place. And often there's a human story wrapped in that. We love dramatic change. At Fellowship, we're all about change. As a church, it's kind of who we are. Matter of fact, our dream statement, our vision statement says this. To change the heart and soul of Northwest Arkansas and the world. It's our dream. We wanna be one of the churches in Northwest Arkansas that's used by God, that, that God uses to change the heart and the soul of Northwest Arkansas. It's why we exist. We exist to see change happen. It's how we traffic. It's the currency. It's the barometer of health we look for. It's our vision. And so I thought for just a moment this Sunday, we just finished Advent. We're heading into this Esther and then the book of Daniel. So we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament before Easter. So for one Sunday, we're going to ask a question. I hope to answer this question for us this morning. How powerful is a changed life? How impactful can a changed life be? And if so, what does it take? What needs to happen in my life in order for my life to have that, that spiritual, powerful impact. So we hope to answer that question this morning. 
you know, you might be asked, okay, so what, what do you mean by a changed life? What's a spiritual changed life? And at Fellowship, we use a number of ways to define that, but probably the easiest one is the spiritual growth wheel. You may be familiar with it. We've put it up here several times in the last um, several months, but the spiritual growth wheel, it simply, it starts with that, spirit, that, that, that segment of spiritual death. And so you, you literally, we all start life as spiritually separated from God. We're spiritually dead. And then we move to being spiritually alive. And you literally move around that wheel. You see, as you move from from spiritual death to being born again, you actually become a spiritual infant. And just like a physical infant, you don't know what you don't know. And then you move in that spiritual childhood where you're focused on self. And hopefully... At some point, you move towards spiritual young adulthood, and as a spiritual young adult, you begin to take the focus off yourself and your self-growing and, and your self-getting to group, and you begin to turn your focus on others. You become a spiritual young adult. You say, okay, I want to serve in my church, or I want to meet that need out in the community. We see that happen a lot of times in our students. They start, they go on a mission trip, or they go do something, and you see them start to move into that spiritual young adulthood where the focus is no longer on me, but how can I show up for group and be there for the others? And then by God's grace, people move into that spiritual parenthood. And just like a spiritual parent, a physical, just like a physical parent, a spiritual parent is someone who has spiritual children and you're pouring into them. You're inviting them into your community group. You're, you're helping them walk along life spiritually. Oftentimes our, our physical kids hopefully are also our spiritual children as well. And we do all this because that's why we exist as a church. We desire change, and our mission statement actually says that. You may be familiar with it. A great time to talk about your mission statement is on the first day of the year, but our mission is this, to produce and release spiritual leaders. It's why we exist as a church. Spiritual leader is someone who knows the authentic Christ, but also can express the authentic Christ. It's it's why we exist are who we are. It's why we gather on Sunday mornings. And they express the authentic Christ both here in Northwest Arkansas and all around the world. So we're gonna hopefully answer that question. How powerful is a changed life? Hopefully we'll ask it and answer it this morning. Before we dive into our text, our text is John chapter nine. It's the story of the, the healed blind man who is a, a blind man during birth. And before we hop into that, we're actually gonna look at three stories. The middle story is gonna be the, the scriptural text. We're gonna look at two changed life stories from our church body this morning. And we're gonna look, as you watch that or as you see it, I want you to say, I want you to be able to see how powerful is the Holy Spirit's work in this changed life. The first one we're going to look at this morning is the life of Lenny Young. I want you to watch this video with me. Check this out. I lived my life thinking, if I don't ask for forgiveness as soon as I sin, and I don't keep track of all my sins, then I'm going to go to hell. These are impossible standards to live up to, and trying to live up to that way, I I don't know how anybody could do it. Growing up, my faith was shaky at best. That was not a pleasant place to be. I was not really engaged. I always believed there was never a moment where I was like, you know, Jesus isn't real or God's not real or God doesn't love me. I never thought that. I really didn't stay very engaged. I tried to read my Bible, tried to pray, but 
there just wasn't that real connection. I was filled with a lot of hypocrisy and, and anger at the church, and I really didn't get a lot of uh, benefit from going to a lot of churches. And I moved and kind of started spending more time with, with spiritual relationships and just trying to get to know God more and trying to understand the Bible more and knowing that there had to be a different way than, than what I was taught. That first time at Fellowship, my mind was blown because for the first time I'd heard about grace. God wants you just as you are. And my kids loved it. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is really incredible. I like it, I wanna go back. I just kept getting hungry and more hungry. And I was just like, wow, this is really different. This is so unique. I've never experienced anything like this before. And so then that led me to, for the first time in my life, wanting to get baptized and really dedicate my life and commit it to God that I was going to change. So in September of 2021, I was baptized. I actually got invited to community group. I had to force myself to go for a couple times, but I found that every single time I went, I left feeling better. I left feeling more connected to God. And some of the men's groups that I was able to become part of and seeing that I'm truly not alone. There are so many people who have the same hangups and understanding God loves them just the way they are. And it was incredible. I've prayed a lot in, in the past and, and my prayers more recently have been geared towards just lead me where you want me, God. I don't know where you want me to go or what you want me to do. I was uh, asked to think about becoming a community group leader. I was asked the day after I had prayed and said, God, you know, can you show me a way that, that I can reach more people, that I can do more, that whatever you want me to do, I'm fine with. I've seen a lot of growth in, in my future, um, a lot of growth in kids' future, and I feel tremendously blessed to to have the support from my current slash previous community group, all the leaders that I've met at church, all the believers who are in the exact same spot that I'm in. I may be terrified, but I know I got God in my corners. I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it. He's gonna give me what I need to succeed. someone's life changed. There, there's something about your story. You know, people can argue with the scriptures, but they can't argue with your testimony, your story. And so I appreciate Lenny sharing that with us, the power of a changed life story. Our text today is John chapter 9. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can do that. We're going to move fast through the story this morning, but John chapter 9 is, is really a cool chapter of the Bible because in it, John records one changed life story. It's a changed life of a man born blind. And there's lots of blind healings in the Bible, but none of someone who was born blind. It was congenital blindness. It was blind all of their life. And so this is a dramatic life change story, not only through physically, but also spiritually as well. It give, just to give you some context, in the previous chapter, in chapter 8, uh, John talks about this. He, Jesus is actually using the words, the, the light and darkness, and as he transitions into chapter 9, you'll see how he continues this thought. But in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, I live the world 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Have the light of life. And think about that as the foundation for talking about being blind and beginning to see. You have darkness and light, blindness and seeing. And so as he sets the stage for chapter nine, we pick up the story with the blind man who had just been healed. And in verse eight, we actually see the first people he encounters, his neighbors and friends. And look at this with me in John nine, verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? So apparently he, had, he was begging for his, to be able to produce in life. That's what he did. And so, and so the neighbors are saying, isn't this the same guy, the one we've seen over and over? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus, he, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could come home, and then I could see. Now, some of you may think you need to go to Siloam Springs. He's not talking about Siloam Springs, Arkansas. It's actually a pool in Jerusalem where they would, they would publicly bathe. They also thought there were some healing elements to it. Most likely, the blind man was healed near the temple, and he made that trek to the, the pool of Siloam. You see, he did what Jesus told him to do, so he, he showed obedience. He went and washed his eyes, and then he could see. It's interesting. The obedience is significant here. He went. He washed and he came home seeing. Imagine for a moment not being able to see. As a matter of fact, go ahead and close your eyes for just a moment. And imagine that your whole life is what you're able to see with your eyes closed. For this man's whole life, that's what he experienced. Now, in a room this size, there's probably someone that struggles with their vision. But for most of us, it's really hard to capture not being able to see. And then in an instant, just like that, open your eyes. He was able to see. For his whole life, he hadn't been able to, but now he was. And he described Jesus as the man they call Jesus. Now, one of my favorite things about this passage is something I call the funnel of faith. That you, you begin to see the, the, over the time, the, 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 refer to Jesus in a more specific way. And at some point in this funnel of faith, this blind man, not only does he begin to see physically, he also begins to see spiritually. To the neighbors, he refers to Jesus as the man they call Jesus. But as it goes on, he's gonna be interviewed by the Pharisees twice. First, he's gonna say he's a prophet. Then he's gonna tell him he's from God. And then at the end of the passage, he's gonna say, Call Jesus Lord. It's one of the most obvious places of coming to faith in the scriptures. So the healed blind man's neighbors took him to the Pharisees, and we pick up the story in verse 15. He says, Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. The blind man says, He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and washed, I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. 
Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that, the, that he had been blind and had received his sight until, the man, until they sent for the man's parents. So it was, it was hard for them to believe. The, the neighbors and the friends, they were so astonished, they bring the blind man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious elite. The blind man is the lowest of society. The Pharisees would be the highest of society. They bring the blind man to, to the Pharisees and say, look, look what's happened, and they're having trouble believing it. Some of them said he, he was never blind. The other ones were beginning to kind of believe, so the Pharisees were divided, and they called for the man's parents. Now, the man's parents don't want anything to do with it, and the reason they don't is because they know what happened, but they don't want to testify before the Pharisees because if, if you testify about the truth, they don't want the truth. And if they testify about the truth, then what might happen to them is what we're going to see happen to the blind man in a little while, the healed blind man, is he's going to be cast out of the synagogue. And for the Jewish person, being able to worship in the synagogue was everything. Because if you're cast out of the synagogue, not only could you not worship there, you also wouldn't be able to do business with God's people. You would be financially devastated. And so the parents respond like this. He's our son. He was born blind. How he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. It's a perfect parent's response. We pick up the study in verse 24. Look at this. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. So the Pharisees call him back to him. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. Now, this is so unfair. This would be like us being called to testify before a judge and we're going to testify against this person. And the judge says, hey, I want you to come testify because I know he's guilty. It's not fair what they're doing to this blind man. But I want you to see how he responds. In verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. See, are you beginning to see the power of a changed life? The power of personal testimony? I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You see, something's going on here. The, the, the guy from the lowest rung of society does not talk to the highest rung that way. You see, this man is growing in conviction. He's growing in confidence, and that confidence has become encouraged to stand for what he believes in. Look at verse 32. He continues on. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, it's the third way he refers to Jesus. He could do nothing. To this he replies, you were, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us and they threw him out. You see, they eventually got tired of him. He stood up to them, and they got tired of him. I think this is great for us in, in 2023, that there may be a time that you've got to stand up for your faith, and it may actually cost you something. And as we see this man coming to faith in Christ, it's actually, even though he can see now, it's costing him standing in society. 
And I'm not really sure his theology is super solid at this point. He's a brand new believer. It's hard for us to understand the magnitude of, of, of what he's going through. But getting cut off from the synagogue is a big thing. You see, that funnel of faith continues to grow, and it's growing to that point of belief. Look at the last part of the passage. He says this. Jesus heard that they, the Pharisees, had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Now, this interaction is incredible. Jesus' question is, do you believe in the son of man? Now, I don't want you to get caught up in the the title son of man. For, For them in that day, it had been just like him saying son of God. Do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe in the son of God? Who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe. You wonder if the blind man's starting to, I recognize this voice. You see, he'd never seen Jesus. And he started maybe wanting to recognize, this may be the guy that healed me. You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And his response is, Lord, I believe. He calls Jesus Lord. You see, the funnel of faith, it's coming to a point. Actually, what I think is happening here is the funnel of faith is turned on its side and it come, becomes the bullseye of belief. That, that this man is, is, is understanding that his, his eyes are not only physically being opened, they're, they're spiritually being opened. And if you're here today and your, your eyes have never spiritually been opened, we desire that for you. We desire that 2023 would be the, the year that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, just like Lenny talked about, just like this blind man's talking about, just like we're gonna hear from Zach in just a moment. The healed blind man says, Lord, I believe. And then what I love is he, he worshiped him. So our question is, how powerful is a changed life? How powerful is a changed life? We have seen significant change in Lenny's life. We've seen the healed blind man's significant change. And I want us to look at one more change. Zach, go ahead and come up here. I want to introduce you to a young man a part of our church named Zach Lewandowski. Um, he... He uh, grew up here at Fellowship along with his wife, Madeline. They both grew up here. And he's going to share with us this morning a little bit about the significant change in his life and all that's going on. I'll grab, Zach, I'll grab this other stool. So, Zach, tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah. John, thanks for asking me to share yeah. a little bit today. but. Uh, yeah, so I grew up with a view of church in which I viewed church as a place that I always had to know the right things to say, and I had to know the right things to do. And if I didn't do those things, and I figured the people that were around me uh, would probably reject me, and uh, that I'd, I'd be viewed as a bit of an outcast as a result. And um, so naturally, I viewed God in a similar light. I viewed God as somebody who expected me to always do the right things, and um, if I didn't live up to that impossible standard of perfection, then I figured that God also would view me as an outcast and uh, would reject me and that I wouldn't belong in his eyes. And um, As someone who knows the depths of my own brokenness and, and who knows the depths of my sin, uh, it, was, it was a pretty big fear of mine to, to have to come face to face with um, a God who knew me um, and who knew me very deeply. 
And so in order to prevent myself from ever being in a situation where God or the people around me might actually see uh, the depths of my brokenness, uh, I tried to live by, by sort of two unspoken guidelines. And the first of those guidelines was to stay away from churches as best I could, um, which, as you can see, is, has gone really well. And the second of those guidelines was um, the second of those guidelines was just to try to live as the best version of myself, that I would always try to do the right thing, that I would always try to excel in the things I was doing in an honorable way. And I figured that if I did those things, and then I could probably clean myself up enough that myself uh, and the people around me and, and even God wouldn't be able to see just how actually broken I was. Um, but that all changed when I was in middle school, and a friend of mine invited me to go play dodgeball at an elementary school gym. And I remember going to, to this elementary school gym and thinking that I was just in for a night of dodgeball with a bunch of other 13-year-old boys, and uh, I quickly found out that, that was actually my introduction to cell group. And um, in, a, in a moment where I should have probably been afraid that I'd found myself in a, a church setting, quote-unquote, I actually remember being really at peace, and I remember uh, wanting to go back. And at first, I just wanted to go back for dodgeball, and so I did. That's what I kept doing, but over the course of about a year, the Lord softened my heart to actually be receptive to the things that he was trying to teach me. Um, and, he, and he quickly walked me through that funnel of faith um, of going from, from someone who was just a man named Jesus um, to someone that I would eventually learn to call Lord. Uh, and so it was by God's grace alone that at Chill Out, uh, FSM's winter retreat uh, when I was 14, uh, I got to make the decision to no longer put my faith and cleaning myself up uh, and being a good enough person to hide my brokenness from God and from the people around me. Um, but rather, I got to give my brokenness to the one that John calls the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So you obviously violated rule number one yeah. here in the church. So uh, tell us a little bit about how that's affected your life after making that decision. Yeah, so after making that decision, um, there are two things that, that really come to mind uh, about growing in my faith. And the first was, um, I have two incredible grandparents who have set a wonderful example for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And uh, I remember before I could drive, they were always willing to, to give me a ride to church because they were always going. And uh, it was really sweet to get to be a part of the body of Christ as a 14 and 15 year old, um, because I got to grow in my knowledge of who God was, but I also got to see what it looked like to exist in biblical community. Uh, and I just remember that being so impactful. And the second thing that comes to mind is I had a cell group leader named Jimmy. Um, that's him up there on the right in the first picture. And Jimmy asked me if I wanted to start meeting regularly when I was 15. And he asked me and two other of my friends. And we all said, yeah, not exactly knowing what we were getting into and probably expecting just a weekly Bible study. But what I expected to be a weekly Bible study quickly turned into a life-on-life -life relationship. Uh, and it was a relationship in which Jimmy was constantly inviting us into the things that he was doing, into the things that he was learning uh, about who God was. And I remember Jimmy taking little moments, things like what would have been a perfect date night for him and his now wife uh, at a concert at Crystal Bridges and choosing to invite three high school sophomores so that we could tag along um, and join them in that. And it's where I got to see what a healthy biblical dating relationship looked like. I remember Jimmy taking a perfect opportunity to hang out with friends from college at his bachelor party in Dallas and choosing to invite three high school seniors um, because he loved us and cared for us and wanted to show us what 
authentic biblical community in college looks like. And I remember Jimmy asking us to stand up beside him as he entered into a covenant with his wife, um, getting to be there and supporting him. Uh, and one of the most beautiful parts about all of that is that it hasn't stopped. A relationship that started eight years ago continues today. And even this past summer, Jimmy got to stand up beside me on my wedding day um, as I entered into a covenant with my wife. And it's one of the, the sweetest parts uh, of being a part of the body of Christ is getting to do life-on-life relationships with someone else whose life has been changed by him. That's good. So that decision to follow Christ, to chill out, your involvement in student ministry, Jimmy's impact in your life. How's, that, how's all that impacting your life now? Yeah, so uh, one of the coolest parts about being a follower of Jesus is that God doesn't just call us to be learners of who he is, but he actually calls us to be reproducers. And uh, one of the ways that prayerfully I'm doing that now is uh, just by getting to lead a cell group. And so I lead uh, a group of 11th grade guys from Springdale, and I've been with that group for five years. And it's been such an honor and a privilege to get to lead them and to watch them grow. Uh, and just to see them have a space to um, safely question their faith and, and question the things that they believe in. And um, it's incredible to get to try to emulate the things that Jimmy did in my life. Um, I, I get to try to do those things for them in their lives. Have you joined me in telling Zach thank you for sharing his story? Thank you. You know, one of the cool things about the power, how powerful is a changed life is you're probably beginning to see that changed lives are actually used by God to change lives. For some reason, he's chosen to use us. He doesn't need us, but even in our brokenness and messed upness, making these New Year's resolutions, maybe this is the question is, is, Lord, what in my life needs to change in order to be used by you in 2023? Or or maybe this is it. What if 2023 was your greatest year spiritually? What, What in your life needs to change in order for that to happen? Let's take a moment and just think about that and respond to God in music and song. You can sing if you need to. You can sit and pray if you need to. You can kneel if you need to. Let's respond to God. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness so through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope 
Well, I feel like often when I come into this place, there's a lot of fear in me that my past week is gonna somehow disqualify me from really experiencing life with Jesus. And I heard somebody smarter than me said it like this. It's almost like me trying to get into the secret place with God, that my failures have locked the entrance and my spirit lost the keys, that I just don't know how to get in. I don't know what to do. I'm like, what steps do I have to take to be right before God? What things do I have to do? And I was listening to Zach's testimony and I thought that was so beautiful. That it's not about us getting our act together. It's actually the opposite. Because the story of the gospel is not one where we are pounding on the door just waiting for him to let us in. But it's the opposite. That the father left his home and he came and found us. He redeemed us, he restored us, he set, he set us at his table. He said, come dine with me. And I love how Mark Schatzman said it a few weeks ago. He said that the gospel is not a get out of hell free card, it's a house key. That this is our inheritance, that we sing hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. It didn't start with me. And I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And hallelujah that that's the truth. Amen. What peace there is in that, knowing that it's not my works, my effort, that's gonna get me into right standing before God, but it's His grace, His mercy. And to that end, I wanna sing a really familiar song with you, that we declare to God, who am I that the highest king, the king of all things, the Lord of lords would look at me and say, yes, that's my child. He's chosen, he's loved, he's not forsaken. He's not the sum of his fears or his shortcomings. He is who I say he is, and that's loved, believed in, proud of even, liked, anointed, chosen. What blessing there is in that, being a child of the king. So let's sing this together. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? this with us. Who am I? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me and oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for Sing it out. Who the son? Who the son sets free? Oh, it's free.
interesting in that last passage that we looked at in verse 35 of John chapter 9 I want you to look at that and that first sentence who's doing the searching there who's the one looking yeah it's Jesus he's the one doing the searching He's not waiting on the healed blind man to come to him. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him, the blind man, out. And when he found him, Jesus was looking for him. And I think in the same way, God desires a relationship with us. He's he's looking for us. He's knocking on the door, wanting to spend time with us, with me with you. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, we would love for 2023 to be the year that that happens. Our prayer team's here this morning. To my left, to your right, right there in the prayer room, they'd love to pray with you. Any of us on stage will be around. We'd love to pray with you. What would it take for 2023 to be your your greatest year yet, your greatest year spiritually yet? For those who do believe, we obey not to be approved. You're already approved. Like Ty said, we, we, we obey because we're approved. We're not trying to win God's approval. 
You know, the statistics from those, those, that list I, I read earlier, the statistics are, there are some people that are called unresolvers, that they don't set New Year's revolu- resolutions. And the statistics say they are 4% likely to achieve those desires because they don't resolve to do them. But those who do set them are, are, are 50% likely to do it. And think about with the Holy Spirit moving, how much more that would happen. So just to encourage you, what are your spiritual resolutions this year? What would it take to be used by God that your changed life would be used by God to change others' lives? And may 2023 be your best year spiritually yet. God bless you, fellowship. Have a great week.